0: Uh, Questlove gave an interview with um, uh, Terry Gross. Well just hold on. Ew. Just hold on. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait.
1: That's, that's not fair. Someone like Questlove could do it, right?
2: Challenge Questlove to tell a Prince story where D'Angelo don't come up in the conversation.
3: Sort of like this show without Prince coming up in the conversation, <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: Right, exactly. Welcome
0: to the b-side
2: Scoop
3: Isaac Jahan Arthur The Music not.
0: This is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. These last two years have been a bitch. (laughs) Way to start off. Way way to bring it back in. We've had a lot of loss in the music world, and really, it started with Natalie Cole at the end of 2015. Yeah. Um, Then David Bowie kicked off the shock in January just days after releasing Black Star, which is just a a brilliant record. Yeah. I I think Glenn Fry was a close follow, uh, leading to a Grammys performance by a reunified Eagles. And that was really saying something, because as a group, they are not the best of friends.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Around the same time of Fry's death, Maurice White passed away. Um, But a Grammy tribute was really, it was just like bolted on to the show.
3: He'd been sick for such a long time, so I think that may have played a role in it you know and and Bowie took people by surprise you know i just thought that like you said the 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 reaction to Maurice White's death was a lot it was tepid yeah especially in comparison to Bowie cuz to me i i would think that they were for what they contributed were on an equal level but i understand how you know um that can get skewed the wrong way but i really thought that Bowie's the reaction the, the public reaction to Bowie's Death mm-hmm. surprised me in its magnitude, and it's the exact opposite with Maurice Spikes for me.
0: That started off just a running list um, Fife, Denise Matthews, uh, Rudy Van Gelder, Bernie Worrell, George Martin, George Michael, Rod Temperton, Bobby Hutcherson, Alan's Holdsworth, uh, Jerry Allen, and most recently uh, Walter Brecker of Steely Dan and Tom Petty. But what leveled everything for me was the death of Prince on April 21st, 2016. Mm. Dave Chappelle said it best, that Prince's death was black 9-11. We just did not see that coming.
3: Was that because he was good at hiding it?
0: I think so. I think he was a very compartmentalized person. And, you know, he was very good about getting other people not to talk about him. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to lose. It's hard to lose a hero. I found that friends of mine who were real, you know, just Bowie stands, you know, had the same kind of feeling that I had where they took almost offense to, for example, Bowie. You know, everybody celebrated Ziggy Stardust Mm -hmm. because that was his most iconic character. You know, and they had some feelings of of resentment because to them Bowie was family. Mm-hmm. No one wants to talk about his work on the stage where he portrayed John Merrick to critical acclaim uh, as the in the, the play The Elephant Man in 1980. You know the films that he did. You know it's mm-hmm. like nobody. You know the 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 technology that that he that he um, uh, promoted, where he had his own ISP for a while, Bowie dot net. Mm-hmm. They kind of resent that because it's like well hey everybody's just gonna put on you know a suit like let's dance or they're gonna put on a red wig mm. and contrast that with with you know me us as prince fans i appreciate i mean that's a hell of a thing when the eiffel tower the white house lit up purple mm. that's a hell of a thing you know mm-hmm. but it's also annoying to hear purple rain at infamum at nausea as if that's the only thing that he did because the Purple Rain years was the most iconic character, if you will, you know that Prince portrayed.
3: Man, look, they they reduced Martin Luther King's whole career down to one speech. So you know what they're gonna do to somebody else.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, no, not just one speech, one line. One, one line.
3: Speech. Thank you. Thank, thank you. One, one line.
2: One sentiment. Right. You know, behind one speech. But you know what? After hearing you say that, that, was a beautiful intro, by the way, bro. But after hearing you say that, it made me think about all the other people not just uh musicians Mm -hmm. but even sports and acting everything and because i've taken offense and not even really taken offense i've talked to Jahan about i've just kind of like tuned out um because i feel like you know i just see constantly people talking about him like he like he made four songs Mm
3: -hmm.
2: but now hearing hearing you say that put a lot of it in perspective for me because i think about sports stars take michael jordan for example how many people, if you take all the people who know Michael Jordan or know of Michael Jordan or recognize him as the greatest ever or whatever, how many of them actually know his style of play? Or how many of them actually saw, you know, more than 10 games or actually mm-hmm. watched him outside of the playoffs or the championships? You know, there's a group of sports fans, you know, and it's a large group. But when you put it in context of the world's population who actually know Michael Jordan, it's a small group. You know what I'm saying? So it's like all these icons, how many people really know them? Because with, I mean, and maybe, you know, Prince has just illuminated this even further for me because he's so close to my heart that it's like, okay, I can see that a little bit more clearly now. But it's really all of these icons who people, they're almost, they're part of our of our culture now. But it's like, do people really know them outside of that that hit or that game? Or that movie, right. you know what I'm saying? It's like they really don't. It's like you didn't see these other roles he did. You didn't see all the stuff that really made him great. And I think we can all agree, you know, "Kiss," "When Doves Cry," "Purple Rain." That's not what made Prince great. You know, it made him popular. It made him um, a global icon. But what made him great is so many other things. And it, I have to be honest, it has kind of shocked me to see how much. You know, like I said in the text, he's the most obscure artist that ever lived. People just don't know him. Um, And then there's the added context that he was black, and it's like, okay, well, what does it say when Rolling Stone prints an image that infuriated Arthur, where you know it's a a purely, I mean, it's obviously a shot from what, like late '80s, '89, love 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 sexy sexy tour. tour, That Rolling Stone, the the quote-unquote Bible of the industry, puts this image in their magazine. And labels it from the Purple Rain tour. Yeah, you know, how how does that even does that happen with Davey Bo- with David Bowie? Yeah, you know Rolling Stone's Twitter make- account
0: had tweeted out this photo along with the link to go to the story prior to the release of the, of the print magazine, where you could read the story. And the caption on the photo clearly a love, sexy tour shot. Mm-hmm. The caption of the photo was Prince on the nineteen on the Purple Rain tour, in nineteen eighty five. And I t- and I tweeted back, and I said, you know, respectfully this is a shot from the Love Sexy 88 <laughs> tour especially then, dumb then motherf- a couple hours later <laughs> I went back to the website refreshed the page and they changed the caption circa 1980s
2: and but then when the print kit came out the they'd print already, magazine come out they had already put right and that to me again do they make that mistake with David Bowie when Rolling Stones when, when Mick Jagger dies would they make that mistake with me so yeah. there's that added there's that added thing like you know are they taking him because in life we never thought they took him as seriously as a guitar
3: player well, you all were paying attention to that. That's what I was paying attention to in Rolling Stone specifically also. When you saw that print magazine, they spoke about him being the greatest guitar player ever. You know that was a one-page piece. That's it. One page. Oh, wait a
2: minute. You're talking about in the actual piece in the or actual, later on? In,
3: in the actual magazine, the actual Rolling Stone magazine, the tribute piece magazine they did for Prince. They limited his guitar playing and his greatness to one page. Like you said, this is supposed to be the Bible of music. You know, you're going to talk about all this other stuff, do however many pages the magazine was, and you get to what's essential to who this man is, is his greatness. And the one thing he did to challenge your heroes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he challenged your Eric Clapton's, he challenged your, you know, whoever else, Angus Young's, he challenged all of your heroes. Jimi Hendrix, even though he was a brother too, but he's the one that challenged this instrument that you all acclaimed to your own and built this whole magazine around rock and roll. So when it comes down to speak about his greatness, at the core is one page. Mm-hmm. So so to me, that it goes into what you're saying, but it's deeper than just, you know, imagery on the cover.
0: So as a result, we want to call this segment In the Company of Tourists. Those, even as the height of Rolling Stone, who only really wanted to visit Prince when he was, quote unquote, the hottest of his career, but didn't want to stay there. And then now that he's gone, you know, they want to change their avatars purple and everything. And I don't mean to dis. well actually, I do. I do want to (laughs) (laughs) affront— Because the Michael you know, Jackson you, hey. stands are all up in their feelings. You know, you <laughs> like, know. hey, our man died too. Okay. <laughs> it ain't my fault they didn't light up right. the White House purple for him. You know you done fucked up when you made Arthur mad. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you know.
3: Can't put a big-ass glove on the, you know, on, on the top <laughs> of the <laughs> Empire State <laughs> <laughs> Building. You can't do that. Right. On the Statue, right. the statue of Liberty. Liberty Thank right, you. right, right, right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that actually would have been dope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it would have. That kind but of no I,
3: I think what we're and I'm I'm on Jahan to chime in uh, I I think we're what we're speaking about is very important because it's about the treatment of who we look at as our heroes and people who have meant something to us but it's our naiveness to expect them to treat them the way we feel they should be treated Especially here in America. I Globally, may be a little bit different, but especially here in America, we should know better. We shouldn't expect them to treat prints.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Right. Ultimately, if it's not written by or done by somebody that I respect from a writing perspective or, or a knowledge and awareness mm-hmm. perspective, I, I just I just don't even read it. And, but in addition to that, I think we have to adjust our expectations a little bit here. This is mainstream music magazines and Rolling Stone, we mentioned that's probably the most mainstream music magazine out there right like do they ever really cover what we want in the manner that we want it so i guess i'm just not quite that surprised Mm. i think what winds me up more is the extremity of coverage so you don't really have anything that's precise detailed suitably celebratory but also appropriately realistic You either have something saying Purple Rain all day, every day, or you have stuff saying, yeah, the 90s are the best decade of Prince. You know, even Prince fans, even even the sort of non-mainstream stuff, some of it is just so out there that, you know, it's hard to take seriously, even when they're trying to do him justice. Scoop, you mentioned the guitar point. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. But a lot of the time, they're not talking about I love his technique or I love his style. They're talking about I like that song on which a lot of guitar was played. And they won't really mention, you know, even in their hundred greatest guitarist list, they're never gonna mention some of the cats that we might talk about.
3: But my thing is that if you're gonna say he's this, then treat him as such. Whether you agree with it or not, not about his ranking, because trust if like Jimmy, if Jimmy if Jimmy Page died, yeah, I agree. it would I be agree. more than a one-page tribute. Yeah. And that's my point. If you're the one saying that he is this great, whether you agree with it or not, it's the fact that if you're sitting here saying he's one of the greatest ever and this is our tribute to him for this. We're going to give yeah, him one page. Trust stuff. me, like I said, Eric Clapton passes away. They'll do an entire ep- issue on that alone. He's just he, the greatness of his guitar playing. with Prince because, and this, and this go and, and to what Isaac, I'm sure is going to touch. This is where, you know, black folks come to the forefront and bring out the race card.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: because you can't tell us at any point in time that this isn't about this. Because we can name all these white cats that do this and how you will treat them, but then our cat gets in this conversation and you treat them like this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt. I mean, when Paul McCartney dies... Exactly. I mean, there, there's no question. I 100% agree with you. There's right. not, no question. The Beatles
0: years, the solo years, the Wings years, the and solo And it'll be all about wing. his <laughs> guitar
1: player.
3: And he wasn't even the greatest guitar player in the Beatles. George Harrison wasn't. George Harrison would get more play as far as, you know, his greatness on the guitar yeah. than... Paul McCartney will And more than Prince You know And Mm -hmm. let's get this right This is not just about Print media This is all across the board Because all the television Tributes were basically On the same line The whack ass people They had up there Speaking about Prince Was horrible
2: Yeah television was worse As could be expected
3: (laughs) The people they sought out To get to speak On his behalf they really knew, like, like, like you said, nothing about who he was as an artist. They were just everything on the periphery.
2: Did yeah. it feel? Did the Rolling Stone piece and, and I, this because this is where I felt about him, the uh, the mentions that he got, his guitar playing has got throughout his career from white institutions. Did it feel begrudging? To you, like I didn't read it. begrudgingly. I am saying just the fact that the way they presented it, did I've, it feel like they begrudgingly said, "Okay, yeah, he's he's a good guitar player."
3: You know, I kind, you know, what? Here's the, I saw it and I wasn't going to get it because I'm on the same page with a bunch of you all. There's no, I don't, I can't think of a one publication right now who would get Prince right. That is worth the investment right. from yeah, our investment in him. That's going to get it right. I'm then not you. that we take away from something from reading it or investing in it, but we do feel like, all right, they got it. I can't think of one publication I saw, especially a mass media publication. I saw that I was going to invest in like that, but I just happened to see the Rolling Stone and you know, it's like, ah, uh, you know, I flipped through it and you flip through it and, you, and I got excited. So, oh, they mention this. Okay. They actually say, all right, as a, you know, virtuoso guitar. Oh, cool. You know, all right, maybe I, and do, I looked and let me, of course you look at the spread, right? Mm-hmm. Turn next page it was on to something else. I'm like, you gotta be shitting. Me. <laughs> so to answer your question, my feeling was you got to be shitting me. And, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't like a drop the mic. I just put the shit back. I'm like, I'm done.
2: You know, I just got done. You know, I wonder just to play devil's advocate for a minute. How and this is this is interesting because how much of this reflects Prince as an artist? Because just taking it away from the racial issue for just a second, his as eclectic as an artist as he was to do him right. You have to be that as eclectic as a magazine, you know what I'm saying? Or as a media entity. Mm-hmm. The New York Times should be able to do it because they should have enough people on their staff to hit every single area yes, of this dude's exactly, career. Exactly. But no, you know, you have to come at it. It has to be your all-star team, you know what I'm saying? Because this cat didn't stay Mojo in any could do one it. Comp- compartment. Mojo could do it. I haven't read enough of their stuff to know. Yeah. You know, sometimes
0: it doesn't take just one magazine. The most interesting collective of Prince covers I've ever seen was in 2004, where he was on the cover of Modern Drummer, uh, Keyboard, mm. Bass Player. Yeah, I remember. Mm. But, but on each one, he was standing alongside with that member of his band. Yeah, they played. So, uh, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhonda yeah, Smith yeah, with yeah. Bass Player, John Blackwell with, with um, on, on Modern Drummer. The subtext is like, hey... He's in all of these lanes. Yeah. And he's
2: cover worthy. Yeah. In all of these lanes. Could nineteen ninety-four-95 vibe staff do this right?
3: You have to look at the publication as a whole. I think at the time that the people they had there and who was running it, they, if given the opportunity, I think they would probably have a chance to do it right because that's what the magazine that's what the magazine's foundation. Was built on. It was built on the core of black music, and at the end of the day, Prince was a black music artist. You know, a black and funk. A, you took the words right out of my mouth. He was a black funk artist, and they understood to a certain degree funk. Yeah. And the people that were there grew up in understanding funk. Yeah. You know. Now there was a lot of people that worked at Vive at the time that were still, you know, um, minor artists of color that came up. Mm-hmm learning and having rock and roll in their DNA. That's the nicest way I can put it. But they had enough people there that had grown up with funk, Mm R&B, soul, you know, that in their core, in their DNA, to understand what Prince was really about as an artist and what he deserved to get. So they may have been they may be the only ones on a mass media level they may have been at that time the only ones that had he passed away or had they been around now they could have executed what we are looking for what we thought would have been the perfect piece the perfect print eulogy Mm -hmm. to 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 encapsulate what this man's career meant to the black audience first and then to the mass audience because in prince's story it, it White audience don't understand what he means to them until they understand what he means to us.
2: I think though, before you get to means, you got to get to what it was.
3: Okay, cool. Yeah, because right, right, right. Yeah,
2: that's. I think there's a level of education that needs to go into this. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's like we can't. Because I agree with you 100. percent right. Yeah. We we have to we have to claim him. You know, what I'm saying and to say but this is what he means. Well, we the can't. The world has to accept that claim. We can't. We can't. And that's, and that's the thing. We can't control what they accept don't, or don't accept.
3: True, but I think it can be told in a way, and it's presented in the right way that it's like, oh shit. You know, I have to look beyond it. Sometimes when you're dealing with people on the outside, when you're dealing with us, sometimes half of it. Well, I don't even say half. Of, part of it is the presentation and how it's presented, and it goes back to what you're saying about Vibe magazine. If Vibe magazine executed this correctly, then that acceptance will get there. I think it it has a better chance to get there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know what, though? I have a devil's advocate scenario. It's very possible that he would have preferred the coverage that he's been getting. Right. You know, we we can't forget. We're talking about a guy who effectively disowned huge sections, decades of his career on the basis that he was no longer comfortable with the musicianship. He often... He had said that he would cringe sometimes when he would listen to old records and old material. We know that he hated the content, the lyrical content, on a lot of the records that, you know, that we love and a lot of the stuff that we feel isn't being focused on right now. You know, this is a guy who wanted to reinvent himself away from a lot of the 80s. And he seemed to always think that the most recent work he'd done was the most important. So I wonder that this kind of rich, detailed, accurate retrospective that we're all hoping for, I wonder if that's actually what he would have wanted.
3: Here's the thing, and I I hear what Jahan's saying, I hear what you're saying also, but my only difference in this is that I think with where he wanted to be was so in the moment of where he was. I think he would appreciate the fact that we are recognizing all of his genius. Mm Mm-hmm. Whether he agreed with it or not, I think if he, if he got out of the moment and looked at what we were doing, I think he would appreciate us really giving love to all of his genius as opposed to where he was at that point in time.
0: You know, let me say, I think Saturday Night Live got it right. I think Saturday Night Live got it right, where it was like, this man's been our show, been, you know, been a live performer on the show four times, we'll get some exclusive footage from that party, you know, and we'll put a, I hated the the skits yeah but,
3: that's what i was about to say that's what i think But they just went that off the, the show yeah. was
0: the series of live performances that he gave yeah. was that was right that was the right that thing was the right
3: thing, thing to, to do right and i see i agree with that but then you- bro i love the guy like a
1: stepfather but he torpedoed our print shows <laughs> <laughs> look at how his people used to relentlessly police the internet and any mention of him the further he got away from what made him great in our eyes the less comfortable he got yeah,
2: with it i i agree i i don't i think prince once wanted the unattainable i think i think if he was honest he would have he would have had a hard time explaining to you what he wanted you know what i'm saying if he was being honest now when you get him in an interview and you know he wants to present a certain thing he's gonna say well this is what i want but blah, blah, blah. i really think he he didn't know what he wanted he, as far as you know us if he you had to say well prince when you're gone how do you want us to talk about you If he was being honest he wouldn't be able to explain it to you he wanted the unattainable he wanted you to talk about the past without talking about the past he wants you to talk about him in a future sense but he's not here he wants to talk about the present but don't talk about the present he's you know and to be honest i think that's the source of his his artistry so many people talk about art as if it's the answer art is the question Mm -hmm. and prince understood that you know emphatically and i think if you listen to his music and you listen to his lyrics which is probably where he was the most honest even though you know, he wasn't like Marvin, where he was just raw with it. But he was still, um, especially I would say, probably in the uh, mid to late '80s, <clears throat> he was very honest lyrically. Um, he was, he was, he was asking questions. You know, and it's like he didn't know what he, he he couldn't really clearly articulate. I think the way that he would want us to to speak about him. Um, I think if Prince if Prince could have it his way. Every time you open your mouth, nothing was when you're talking about him, nothing but sound would come out. That's what he wanted. you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying that's that's all he wanted. It wasn't you know talk about this or talk about that he he couldn't articulate that, man. I think he
1: wanted to, but he he didn't know how. I wonder if it would have been different had he not passed away, but he'd retired so like there's no more albums, no more tours like he just stopped completely. I wonder what then he would want us to focus on and maybe you know that would be closer to what Scoop's suggesting
2: but I think to your point though Jahan I think that every year or every couple years it was kind of like a rebirth like okay now I figured this out so I'm gonna do this tour and this is presenting you know how my music should be presented and what I'm on right now and to be honest that's you know that's the constant evolution of a great artist you know what I'm saying of a great musician who it's always something different you know what Mm -hmm. what I'm saying but with him it was like i always just got this sense that dude you really don't have it figured out you know what i'm saying you think you got it figured out now you want to tell us this is the way it's supposed to be a couple years from now you're going to be given uh, something that's slightly different and that's and it's supposed to be this way so I, I feel like to answer the original question i just don't think he was fully understanding of his own career because he was you know always saying a, he was trying to figure it out you
3: said art is the question so to me he's always in search of that he's is always
2: saying he's constantly searching every artist is that, that good you, or bad you know, was well, that the definition of a true artist? It's good for the it's good for the art. It's not good if you're the artist, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. But it's good, it's good for the art, you know. It's good, it's good for it's good for artistic expression. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to get something out and you're true to that question, you're like, okay, I really don't have this shit figured out. Let me just put the question on paper. Let me put the question in the music. It's if it's a great feeling, but I think that for you know, to live your life like that, man, that's a hard way to live. Because he's always he's always searching. And I think for Prince, he wanted, especially in his later years, he wanted, and it's guy ridiculous to talk about later years, somebody who was 57, but in his later years, he wanted to present himself as, like uh, John said, a stepfather or an uncle or take these younger artists under his wing and show them, hey, this is the way you do it. I think business-wise, he may have had that, a better influence on them as far as, you know, when he started the whole own your masters thing back in the day, Mm -hmm. but artistically, he, had he lived he may have hit another period and this is i think what jahan and i were hoping for where he would have went purely in search of the in search and, and, and put that question back in the music instead of yeah. you know preaching to us put the question back in the music and boom you know what I'm saying something beautiful would happen
3: can i ask i want to i want to bring david boy back into this situation real quick and i want to throw this to arthur if prince had known the same way david boy had known that he was passing away do you think he would have done what Boy had done and put out of the last final project?
2: I think so. Oh, that's an excellent question. I do. I think that he would have.
3: What do you all think that would have sounded like?
2: Mm, that's an excellent question.
3: Because it goes to the question about how he wants us to look at him. If he knew this was it, this is the last piece of music he's going to give the earth, give the world, what would that sound like? Would it sound like in the moment or will it, you know, what, what do you all think? You all are much closer to Prince than I am, so I'm asking you all, what do you all think that would sound like if he did do that? Can I answer that? Yes, of course.
1: Yeah, I don't think anything would have changed. I think it would have sounded very much like the album that immediately preceded it. This is a guy who, for better or for worse, he really seemed to believe in what he was doing at any given time. And I remember when Chris Rock interviewed him for MTV, I think, and Chris asked him to create the perfect band of past Prince band members. And he told Prince, look, I'll make it easy for you. You can't choose anyone that you're currently working with and Prince is like yeah okay my current band and Chris is like okay let's try this again you can't choose anybody in your current band Prince is still like nah my current band yeah yeah. he just seemed to wholeheartedly believe in everything he was doing when he was doing it you know Patrice Russian great artist tweeted out the day after he died if Prince taught us anything it's to not give two F's about what anybody else thinks and be yourself and and she's right he really came across as having no regrets and believing 100% in everything that he was doing so I think that if he knew the end was coming I don't think that he would have what we would perceive to be a creative epiphany I don't think that he would say right it's yeah. time to get yeah, really yeah. real really ambitious to really you know go out with the bang and create the most sprawling innovative work I think that he thought that his work was was that right up until the end and if anything, I think he would say, You guys don't get it. You're stuck in the eighties and you're the ones who don't understand how great this yeah, material absolutely. is.
2: I yeah, and to, to kind of dovetail with what Jahan just said, I don't advocate, you know, him or, or would want him to go back in the past at all. You know what I'm saying? Ever. You know, and mm-hmm. go 'cause he said a long time ago, if you want to hear nineteen ninety nine, go listen to nineteen ninety nine. And I agree so with that. Out of the closet. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. My thing again was that what I would want him to do if he was, you know, no, if he was uh, uh, like Bo, if he knew the end was coming, I would want him to again put that question in the music again. Don't you don't have to do what I want you to do or go back and play with like you? No, no, just put the question, just be brave, man. Just be brave, put the question in the music, and let it happen. That's all I wanted. He was too, um, to, he was too didactic in his, his last couple years of his or last decade or whatever. It was just too much, you know, trying to it was like he was trying to control the music instead of letting the music control him you know what i'm saying it was just it was completely adverse to what he had been before and that that threw me off you know to the point where when he would drop a new release i really wouldn't even check you know check it out until you know one of you guys would put it in a dropbox or something but to i, I agree with jahan i don't think he probably would say we don't know what was going on but for me, you know, and again I think I talked to John about this the night it happened. I thought I knew this day would that day would happen, but I thought we would all be much older. You know what I'm saying? I thought I would be Oh man, yeah. I thought I would be his age, you know what I'm saying, when it happened. So I remember thinking, you know, what it would look what it would look like or what I would want it to look like. And I would want it to be like in uh Amadeus when he's laying you know, he's laying on his deathbed creating a masterpiece, you know what I'm saying, in yeah. uh in the movie mm-hmm. Amadeus. Um Great Flick, by the way. That's what I thought. That's how I kind of envisioned Prince going out. Just mm-hmm. me like, you know, effing. I'm going to just...
1: Like, Dilla. like exactly. Dilla. Exactly. In the hospital, creating donuts.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just putting it out there. You know, so would that have happened? I don't know. To answer your question, Scoop, yeah. I don't know. That's what I would want to happen, though. When, when Bowie died, I felt like... And I'm not by any means a Bowie aficionado, but I felt like his greatness was appropriately approximated through the coverage. You know what I'm saying? His greatness. Not necessarily his... His acting or his mu- his musicianship. I'm not as a you know as an arc his greatness. Preach. And then when <laughs> I saw Prince. And I and this is what made me... This is why I kind of wanted to be old as hell when Prince died, so I wouldn't be so upset about it. It's funny you it. say old
3: as hell. You wanted to be his age, which is... I want to be older than... I, you I'm said sorry, older I'm like, damn, Isaac killing me all this five years away from where I met am Like, damn, you want to be, I'm like, damn. I want to be even older. I'm <laughs> sorry. Let me, let me I want to be his age. Let I'm me like, rewrite damn, that. I'm, I'm five years <laughs> away wow. from that. Shit, I'm I older. want it to
2: be even older than wow. that. But Isaac just... <laughs> this, I'm saying, though, but what upset me is that I knew, and and I think that this... <laughs> <laughs> my fault, dog. My fault. <laughs> this apprehension, I think we all had when we thought about. We never talked about it. But I'm saying in the back of our minds, when the day happened, would Prince's greatness be approximated? And it wasn't. You know, every time I saw him referred to as pop icon, oh Jesus! Yeah. It just like it was like that. It hit me in my chest yeah. when I saw the night or the night after when it happened, and Anderson Cooper is interviewing. Jimmy Jam which was the only interview I watched because it was Jimmy Jam mm-hmm. and I turned it off you know I think only a few minutes into the interview when uh, Anderson asked him uh, is it is it really true and he's laughing while he said this is it really true that Prince fired you from the time and he's laughing you know like that was some hilarious incident that happened that had no bearing on anything else right. afterwards so that's to, to boil this down to the essence I feel like that's what has you know shocked me not shocked me but messed me up over the last month was that Prince's greatness has not been approximated by the media. And I get what Jahan is saying is, okay, we can't expect them, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Fuck that. This is Rolling Stone. This is magazines who hold themselves up as knowing about music. You know what I'm saying? And so you take this man out of music and we are we, we it's like it's like taking the moors out of history,
3: no, you take it you, you we get you set back it. You know what I'm saying? somebody put a good <laughs> he had his own genre of music, so he when you take him own, out he's yeah. own, he was his own so when you take him out, you're losing an entire genre right and, and, we, you, and you don't come superficial with an entire genre, and
0: that's why I don't think Prince's final project would have been as deliberate as Black star
3: mm-hmm.
0: Prince was very aware that he didn't get the unified respect that he deserved and that he was usually relegated to pop icon status. I would have wanted Prince to do a, a concept album, you know, if he knew that he was going to die soon. I mean, in many ways, public facing, Prince lived his life as a concept, as a, as a, as a character that constantly evolved. And, it, and in that way, there are clear trace elements and even some parallels between Prince's career and Bowie's career. I mean, Bowie is like a method actor where he would create characters, and he would live those characters. But Bowie, when he was finished with the character, he would take off the costume, hang it in the closet, and he would never revisit that character again. Yeah. I mean, Prince was very different. It's like the clothes that he would wear on stage, those would be the clothes that he would wear every day. Now, conversely, Black Star is a parallel to classic Prince in that Here, the character is Bowie himself, revealing personal truths. And this is what Prince would excel at. You know, he would tell his own story in very abstract terms, and sometimes direct terms, Mm -hmm. but he would still be in character. You know, but I agree with Jahan that Prince, if Prince knew, you know, and I mean, I believe that it would be in the same vein of his last few albums that he was releasing. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, he may have been more direct than he's ever been in his lyrics, if if, if he knew, and... You no, know, I just miss them. I just miss them like, you know, like family, like just true family.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm devastated, and one of the greatest artists of all time to me. But just being objective, with the exception of Arthur, do any of us really know enough about Bowie to pick holes in the coverage?
2: Well, no, and that's is it possible?
1: Yeah. Is it possible? Yes. You know, we probably have more information about Prince than the average person. You know, to us, we're never going to be happy.
2: Yes, but that was my point about Bowie was that as a non-Bowie aficionado, I still feel like I'm in all of his greatness. Like
0: if you knew nothing about David Bowie, you knew that he was a big deal based. I don't on look the at range. yeah,
2: exactly, and not just as a because I even you know listened to this podcast with Paris on the way to school one day about Bowie, and I was just like, yo, this dude, you know, as an artist, you know, bump the rock, bump the any genre you want to put him in, movies or. The full scope of him as an artist was presented to me as a non-Bowie aficionado to the point where I was like, okay, I'm in awe of this cat. Mm-hmm. I seriously doubt, based on the Prince coverage, people who don't know about Prince, they're not getting
3: that same feeling.
1: I, I, I don't know. I mean... John, let me just, I put
3: it this way. With Bowie, it, and this is, just, this is very superficial, but with Bowie, it felt comprehensive. That's it. With Prince, it still... It's not,
1: whether, whether you know Prince or not... It doesn't feel comprehensive. No, I don't think you can say that. I mean, it definitely matters. You can't say whether you know Prince or not. You can't judge something as being comprehensive if you don't know the material. No, that's that's, that's the point. That's that's his point. I don't know know Bowie, Bowie, but but I feel feel like that was comprehensive. You feel like
3: the way they've treated him as being
1: comprehensive, has been thorough. But if Arthur, who's a Bowie aficionado, his boy Greg, my boy Ali Al, all of whom are Bowie connoisseurs, if they all feel that it's comprehensive, fair enough. But they're the cats who are qualified and they may be able to say, well, actually, it missed out this. It missed out that. Well, do you Just like a- we're saying about Prince. Yeah, speak Ooh. on well, that. Well, the
0: Bowie coverage felt pretty comprehensive to me. I think people got a clear picture of the range of his talent and the range of his art. Of Bowie. Of Bowie. But Bowie allowed himself to be more directly accessible than Prince. Good point. Prince didn't talk to people. And if hmm. Prince did talk to people, it was always... It was always just short of a prepared script because prince had an agenda that he wanted to put forth so there was always a protocol you know don't write anything down no tape records just remember all this shit i'm saying <laughs>
3: <laughs> but did he right? give you enough body but, you know, of, Bowie, but he gave you enough work for you to not even have to have that you have the work there to speak
1: for it yeah that's true that's true i can't disagree that with
3: that you. that's an easy out man you. what cuz that had, what his involvement was with the media had nothing to do with our coverage of him When he passed away, he gave us enough music for us to just focus on the music and not be surface with it. Go beyond, you know, Purple Rain. Go deep into his thing the same way they went deep into Bowie. It has nothing to do with his relationship with the media. Hmm.
1: You know what? To build on what Scoop's saying, if I'm being completely objective, I think I'm just pissed that no one shares the same taste that I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what it is. Like if, say, 50% of the coverage was about the stuff that I thought was fantastic if it was about Camille or parade or controversy I'd settle for that I'd be happy with that but even there I would be looking for something to teach me something I didn't know whether it was an anecdote or a recording technique or just a nice little story about you know a private story because without those kind of previously uncovered details is it really anything more than a rehash of how we might have celebrated him personally over the years.
0: Yeah, well, but for the magazines, I mean, there's no, there's nothing that I can really read in a magazine article that's going to give me any kind of insight other than what I already and that's, know. That's but sad. but think
3: about it, that changed the dynamic. It's not about necessarily learning anything different. It's like, oh, if somebody did a, a feature, a hour long feature on Prince, if they started, if they started that piece, any piece with love, sex. It's not about you learning. You'd be like, thank you. <laughs> right, you're, right, you're right, right. Right. So it's not, <laughs> right, it's right, not right, about right. you. You'd be like, thank you. They, it, it, right in your mind, you're like, okay, they get it. I'm going to pay attention. I don't give a damn whether I'm learning anything. I'm with them right there because now they just didn't do the superficial. They yeah, just didn't yeah, do They just didn't start on the surface. They, now they'll get to it. That's fine. Yeah. But if you start with Love Sexy, if you start the conversation like, look, Prince did an album, Camille. Like, oh, shit. That's the first thing that comes out their mouth when they're talking about him in their eulogy of him. That's what you want.
2: Yeah, because to be honest, most of us, especially Arthur and John, are not going to learn anything by anybody right that's not the it's, point. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's not what you're looking for.
1: You're looking for somebody to get it. Comprehensive yeah. coverage. You're looking for
2: somebody to get it.
1: Get comprehensive with it. You know, what makes it worse is that they could have absolutely smashed it just taking the covers of each magazine. They keep recycling the same old musicology, diamonds and pearls photographs for mm-hmm. all their covers. But there must be so many unused shots from far more iconic photo shoots. Why don't, they, you know, why don't they approach Jeff Katz, Richard Avedon, Laura Le Puma, Jean-Baptiste Mondino? These guys must all have a stash of fantastic outtakes from these iconic shoots. That's what they should be using. It kind of blows my mind that that doesn't seem to have occurred to them. The other thing that I thought we'd see a lot more of is um, I don't know the I don't know the industry term, the journalism term for it, but, but it's an article or or a retrospective built up of anecdotes from various different people and it's it's kind of structured as if it's a conversation between an those oral people. Oral history. Oral history, In right. It's oral right. history. I'm I'm really surprised we haven't seen more oral histories. That's the that's where we could learn something. But that
3: well you know what John John, that, that takes a lot of time to do. You can't pull that off in a short period of time, Oral histories usually take a lot of time, especially with like somebody who didn't speak a lot. There's a lot of people you have to get, so that may I'm saying that' to say that may be coming
2: Fair I, enough. He, I mean I also I think there's some love hate here. I think if you look at his relationship with um these media outlets, there was a lot of love hate you know oh, yeah. they, they they begrudgingly loved him, mm-hmm. you know, they begrudgingly respected him, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying but. He Prince was invading on a territory that no other black artist, Michael Jackson, did not invade on these certain territories. No. He did not invade in their rock territory the way Prince did. You know, he did not try to reclaim it. You know, what I'm saying in the '80s the way uh, the way that Prince did, and I think that played into and that's why John, we talked about it or you, you mentioned it. The one performance I know you really didn't like on the George Harrison tribute. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, and I, I get Jahan, Jahan made the point that there's no one else up on the stage, you know, of any real relevance. So it really didn't, it, it wasn't as impactful. Right, I,
1: I, there's, other, there's other incredible guitarists, but on that stage, no one of his level.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah. And there's, there was no one on his level on that stage or anywhere near right, his level. Exactly. And I, I get that. But the reason that that performance was was really important to me, it, it was a middle finger. Thank you know what him. I'm saying? It was a middle finger to... Everyone who was in that audience, it wasn't about who was on the stage. Everybody oh, right. who
3: was watching it, right? Exactly. Everyone
2: who was watching it, giving praise to Joy. It was a middle finger. Yeah, I agree with about you. how was, you
3: all treated me all these years. It was, a, just,
2: right. it was a black. It was a light skinned black middle finger. <laughs> that's
3: exactly what it was. That's why I love it. <laughs> to,
2: yeah, I to can, that. I and that's it. and that's why when I was watching it, and I think I called Arthur. We I was just like, yo, this is just this is it incredible was amazing, because yeah. you could see knowing that dude like we knew him. You saw it all over his face. You know what he
1: was doing. Um, you know what. I, I'll give you this, I'll give you this. The thing that I did like about that while my guitar gently weeps performance was his his claim afterwards was I'd never heard the song before. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that was his middle finger. I mean it
2: was, you know, if if back to the movie Amadeus, if we were to believe it as accurate history, they had a love-hate relationship with Amadeus. He's an arrogant motherfucker, and Prince was too, at his at his peak. Justifiably. The, exactly, justifiable, mm. absolutely. But that's why I said in his later years because it was like you know for them Prince came to Earth in 1984 did Purple Rain left Earth again came back in the late 80s did Kiss left again came back and did Most Beautiful Girl left again then came back with Music College you know what I'm saying that's how they that's how they perceive him so Back by the time he came to the musicology years, he was uh, like Ali when he lit the uh, the torch oh, yeah. at the Olympics. Dude. All was forgiven. He was different. Only Prince mm-hmm. wasn't suffering from some disease. Because he was but safe for them now. He was safe. He was safe. You know, he right. was nice. He was you know on one stamp. He mm-hmm. wasn't dating their women like he used to. Like he was dating their women. You know, what I'm saying mm-hmm. he yeah 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 he, yeah, he was with <laughs> his own women <laughs> now. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying mm-hmm. it was like they loved they loved them now. You know, what I'm saying you know I honestly believe had he lived to be in his seventies or eighties. The tribute for him would have been greater than it was now You know what I'm saying Not enough time has passed for them to let go of what they What they're holding on to mm-hmm. uh, But yeah, you, know, you know what though Does Let me ask you guys this though If you look at the way he's fluctuated Does any other artist of his stature Represent the pitfalls And kind of the way you have to maneuver As a quote unquote black success story You know in America
3: I think even deeper deep, More deeply rooted than that Was his sense of freedom that's what he operated from. He operated from being free.
1: As yeah, far, 100%. He,
3: he, he may be the walking embodiment of a black person as far as their creativity is concerned, as free of what freedom looks like. He may be the only one. So in his navigation, it's hard to navigate when freedom is the root of everything that you're trying to do, especially in the corporate and white world. You yeah, know, that's, and that's, the, that's,
2: that's what you're faced with within the corporate and white world. But how, he, how can I do this? Make this money, but still be free.
3: I know, but see, we operate, we don't operate with freedom. We operate with the theory of what freedom can be. And we want that. He operated Mm -hmm. from freedom, period. I'm only dealing from this base. But was was he, you're you're a struggle getting there for him? He he operated from that. I'm not saying he was, basically, he was. He's the closest thing to freedom we're going
1: to see. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, he might have struggled to get there. But I see what you're saying. It's really, really important to note that. He got his masters back from a major label. Now, that, that's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like, look where he started out. He went from uh, one, one great story that actually did come out after his passing was an interview with uh, Mo Austin, the um, the president of Warner Brothers. He remembered Prince playing him head for the first time. And he's like, I don't understand what you're singing. <laughs> and Prince, like, goes up to his ear and sings like... Along to the record that's playing head till you're burning up, head <laughs> right. till your love is red. He went from that to painting slave on his face to getting his masters back. I mean, it's what an incredible journey!
3: But that, but, but he had, I think that's why he, he was rooted in freedom because he knew he could do stuff nobody else could do. And you all, I don't care if you're a record company, I don't care if you're an audience, I don't care if you're a band member, I don't, none of you all can do what I do, none of you understand what I'm doing. And this is why I'm this is my freedom. You can't control what I do, and I'm going to operate from that. I don't need you all for anything. You know, and that's a hard thing. I, I, we thought it a, It's amazing to me, and I need you all to answer this for me. How can a dude, like Jahan say, be this smart, and like you say, deal with the corporate world on such a level, be brilliant enough to understand the power of owning masters, and, and, and a monetary value in that. Have this all together, and not fucking put together a trust. <laughs> How could his personal finance situation and all, he's, all, all that he's amassed, he not have any control over that?
1: That's like an X-File. I'd, I have no idea. It's not like he didn't have lawyers on the payroll.
2: Yeah. When your best friends are lawyers, yeah. <laughs> it's like you
0: gotta have. <laughs> have any one of us, in the wake of Prince's death, approached his music differently or changed... Let me put myself in the conversation. So I started listening to '90s Prince music, <laughs> like exclusively, and I don't like it much better than I did before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still listening to it because I have to recognize that I am actively missing a piece, you know, of the puzzle.
2: It's I I think it's I, I think it's 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 a good it's a good question and I think for me because prior to his death, rarely a day went by where I didn't hear at least one Prince song. You know what I'm saying? Where I didn't personally play, whether it be in the car, at the gym, around the house wherever, in the office, every day there was some Prince music going on. And so after his death, for me, I stopped listening. You know what I'm saying? It took me a while, I only recently started listening to him again. And this is like cuz it wasn't an effort for me for me to listen to Prince it was just part of you know day to day life so that's why for me it was strange cuz i just stopped listening to him cuz and i think that was the abruptness of his death you know what i'm saying it would just yeah. came out of nowhere mm-hmm. so it was like i literally was leaving the gym and saw this you know the first text message which was from my son and then found out what happened it was just like a lightning just boom that you know before and after and so after that for weeks man i just i couldn't you know i just didn't listen to him um, so recently I've started to uh, To listen to him, and I don't You know to get even to answer your question even more I don't I'm not listening to A certain era um, I listen to Pretty much the same stuff I used to listen to And I don't think it sounds Any different than to, to, to me it, The only difference is I start to It becomes a little bit more personable in the sense of I'm wondering like I'm getting more into his thought process Process at that moment and again, just like none of us know when we're going to go, I'm thinking, damn, what if he knew he only had X amount of time left? You know what I'm saying? Or what, you know, those type of questions come to me now. Um, but as far as I listen to a certain era of his music, um, I haven't gotten to that, you know, to that level yet.
3: It's interesting because I've, I've done the exact opposite. But I, you know, it wasn't like he was in my everyday rotation. But what I've done is I've, once he passed away, I started listening more to not just one genre, but to everything. But I started listening for things that, Acutely listening to things that I would not pay attention to before. I started listening to instrumentations and what he was playing and what he was doing, and like really diving into the acuteness of it all. And like, damn, I'm, you know, what you didn't do before, where you just listen to a song, you're like, all right, it's a dope song, it's that and the other. But all right, let me listen to his piano playing here. Let me really concentrate on what he was saying lyrically here. Let me listen to his guitar playing, you know, on just stuff you hear all the time. You know, like, let's go crazy. Purple Rain is a classic example of a song that, you know, you hear it all the time, know everything about it. But listening to it after his death, I started acutely, almost like I was a damn equalizer of myself, tuning everything out around that song and listening to his guitar playing. Mm -hmm. I listened to Bambi differently. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I started listening
2: Mm -hmm. to certain things. I will say, though, before uh, John, this definitely uh, was the most personal you know, quote unquote celebrity. Cause I don't even, it's funny. Okay. I don't even look at him as a celebrity. Like, yeah. He's like, he's like my older brother <laughs> right? It's like for the purposes of making it, um, to, to make it understandable. I do. This is definitely the most, you know, personal celebrity to the point where I went through the phases of grief where I, I was like, for a while I was just annoyed with him. Like, why are you, you know what I'm saying? This is the most ridiculous thing. What the fuck? You know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the anger, you know what I'm saying? I went through all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, I, you know, and I can't think of now, you know, I can't, you know, maybe it'll, when it happens, it'll hit me. But I can't think of anybody else, you know, who could pass. Everybody else who I was that close to, they're already gone. So it's like, as far as celebrities, you know, so. Um,
3: it was yeah. Michael for me.
2: You know, and, and but I agree with Arthur with Michael. It, for Michael, I, he was so frail that it was like, I almost it didn't shock me right you know what i'm saying but, it didn't shock me
3: but i only I But it. i did
2: feel and i told you this right i did feel like a part of my childhood had died
3: but that's why i think the difference in michael with me and different you all is because i'm older than you all and i like you when know, i say i literally grew up with him right you know, it was the exact there hasn't been a day in my life you know what i'm saying right. but right. that dude has been that dude like when you're in fourth grade and you want to be somebody Right. Yeah. you know what I'm saying and for dressing Mike dressing like that, him yeah yeah everybody to see that phenomenon he was the now you know talk about, see where Prince was personal with you all Mike was a phenomenon to us mm-hmm. and you grew up with that and there was no other just Stevie is one thing but Mike was on a whole different level but so I, see,
2: I, I feel that for me I feel that Michael was that and to me that's what made you know I feel like he was a phenomenon yeah to he was me, but I feel yeah. like that's what made him a little bit other, more otherworldly to me. As weird as it is to say that Prince wasn't as otherworldly to but me. But he
3: wasn't, not
2: But he was more, Prince was more ground down to earth. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? The only approximation I can make is that if hip hop was, was a person and could die, that's the only way I could feel the way I felt when Prince died. Mm-hmm. You know, if hip hop could die, mm-hmm. you know, that, that would be it. Because, like, to your point, I grew up in that. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: Bruv, listen, in terms of otherworldliness, I feel like we're the ones who died, and he's still alive, left on the planet. Like, where where is (laughs) (laughs) it? This this is a Twilight Zone episode. (laughs) Right, like he went out for a smoothie, and he came back, and we all died at exactly the same time. (laughs) He's on Earth by himself right now. (laughs) You know, it's talking of Twilight Zone, it's funny because Arthur's the one who called me. Arthur's the one who told me what happened, and I was walking down the street, I got a call from Arthur and I'm like, hey man, how are you going? And he says, um, I'm a little weird, actually. I think Prince might, I think Prince might have died. And he told me that the news was reporting that there was an ambulance and police outside Paisley Park. And there were reports of a fatality inside. And he told me he was worried. And I told him, bro, don't worry about it. It's more likely that Prince has killed someone inside Paisley Park and we're going to see him now let out in handcuffs, covered in blood. <laughs> you know, we be charged with first-degree murder, but I'm sure he's all right. Oh, God. He'll be in jail for the rest of his life, but he's fine. <laughs> that was more realistic to me than him passing away at the age he did. I think when we look at these figures who are larger than life and they play such an important part in our lives, we have a tendency to not look at them as human or even real it's almost as if they become a character in a movie to us where they're kind of just like frozen in time and we don't really consider them aging or their health going downhill so whenever i looked at prince before he passed away i didn't really think of him in terms of having a respiratory system or being human yeah i was just like that's prince he's got a guitar I don't know about heart and lungs <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what
2: and I didn't either but he also was all those things but he was also like again like Arthur said like somebody you knew and I, I think maybe that maybe that familiarity comes with listening to him every day for you know uh, 30 yeah, some, some years, years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying so maybe that's what it is but yeah I agree with you Jay it's like you don't I, I knew the day was going to come but it was like it was an ethereal thought in the back of my mind so to yeah, have it brought forward it that Is it a bad taste for us weird. to do
3: this show? Like we we know he like he would show up at Jahan's funeral with a cease and desist order and <laughs> put it on <laughs> his coffin. Right? You know what I'm saying? Just so I'm it. like, like slap so it right. down. So I'm right, 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 feeling right. like
1: telling I, the organist stop playing. Sometimes it snows in April. Right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like. I don't want to feel like all the people who started like illegally downloading his music once he passed away because he can't do anything about it. You know, he wouldn't want this show done. right? <laughs> so right. I'm saying now that he's not here, since he can't do anything about it, is it in bad taste that we're doing this show because we know he can't do anything about it? We yeah.
2: are, well, we've already done the other shows. So. Right.
3: I know, but you saw what happened with that. right? <laughs> you saw the reaction to that. Wait till this show posts. <laughs> and to, yeah, Two days later, you has to get an email. <laughs>
1: right, right, right. Probably. It
2: wouldn't surprise me. So if we got to get this up quick. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if your name, John, it wouldn't surprise me if your full name is written down somewhere in Paisley Park and has been for years now. <laughs> well, let me, oh, no, say, no. let me just say, let me just say, of
0: the four of us sitting at this table, we know factually
2: that Prince Ashley likes Scoop. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. I don't, know, after, I don't know after their encounter if you liked them, but before <laughs> their right. encounter. exactly. Yeah. Scoop rejected Prince. <laughs> right. yeah. It might be your fault why the shows got taken down. Maybe.
0: <laughs> well, to continue our conversation, we want to introduce a new segment that we call Snob Deep. And Snob Deep, we're going to pick an album, and we're going to deep dive into its background, its makeup, and its impact. So we'll deep dive into the mythology, history, and music of Prince's funkiest unreleased project... Camille from 1986 (laughs) (laughs) we covered some of this in our second episode that we did on Prince uh, episode number eight when we talked about the trilogy of sign of the times the black album and love sexy but before we got to sign of the times there were actually three albums that were produced and unreleased before sign of the times even came out in March of 1987 and the second of the three is an album called Camille, which was completed in November of 1986 and slated for a January 87 release by Warner Brothers. Prince nixed that project and decided to expand Camille into a three-album set called The Crystal Ball that was then trimmed down to Sign of the Times from 1987. So the album was made up of eight songs um, split in half, four on side A, four on side B. And all of the songs, save for one, the first song called Rebirth of the Flesh, was actually released in varying forms. Three songs made it to Sign of the Times. A variety of them uh, made it as B-sides. And a song called Good Love first made its appearance in 1988 on the soundtrack for a Michael J. Fox movie, Bright Lights, Big City. And Camille's closing song, Rock Hard in a Funky Place, uh, made it as the close to the Black Album. Now, the first time I ever heard about Camille was as an alter ego of Prince's, mm-hmm. where, where really the way that the marketing campaign was going to go is that Camille wasn't a Prince album. It was actually a self-titled Camille album, right. and that Camille was actually Prince's long-lost brother, twin brother. But the, the character of Camille was always characterized by Prince's vocal being sped up. The technique was first heard in Love or Money, which is the B-side to Kiss,
1: Actually, the technique was first heard in *Erotic City*.
2: That's on, that's my
0: question: is mm.
1: what is
2: the first appearance? What is the first appearance of, of Camille?
1: Well, um, that depends what you're asking. Is
2: that is, is that is that is that a questionable question?
1: So, are you asking what was the first song attributed to Camille, or are you asking what was the first song that utilized the production technique that gave the a similar former. vocal what is, effect to Camille? Yeah, the
2: former. What is the first uh, verifiable official? appearance of camille
1: well the first official release is the sign of the times album where you have strange relationship if i was your girlfriend and housequake for which the liner notes state lead vocal by camille
3: right see and that's what i thought because my th- i thought if i was your girlfriend my understanding of camille was it, was it was a whole play of i was your girlfriend and him playing the character of that girlfriend the whole theme of Camille was supposed to be that. That was my understanding from back in uh, the day. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, <Okay>. no,
1: no. <laughs> uh, Isaac's got a view on this too. Um, <laughs> both of you disagree with me, but no. No, I'm just saying that's
3: how that's how,
1: that's how it was introduced to me. It was going, but yeah, that's. Uh- so the whole point of if I was your girlfriend, in my view, is it's from the perspective of a man suffering from pretty serious. Jealousy and even unorthodox jealousy. Yeah,
2: I, yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, if I was your girlfriend, is definitely yeah, from a man's point of view.
1: You know, tell me all the things you forgot when I was your man. He's the boyfriend, but he wishes he could be the boyfriend and the girlfriend because he feels that without that, there's a barrier between the two of them.
2: There you go, Jahan. Jahan you, you are making my point beautifully. Now to to step back real quick, Jahan. and I had an earlier uh, text, you know, conversation text about death this. Match. Yeah, and the goddamn
0: show is what you had.
2: <laughs> yeah, we irritated Arthur a lot because we were having the show, but you know, John's point was that you know uh, Camille, as Prince has said himself, Camille is a is a is a man. Camille or Prince he said Camille is a boy. boy. Uh, and my I I try I, I was trying to say, and I still believe that Camille to Prince was. The perfect representation of the androgynous symbol, not the whack androgynous symbol from later. I'm talking about the one that was on the purple, uh, on the, the motorcycle in Purple Rain. So, Camille and, and Jahan, those lyrics to me even prove my point even more. He started off that song, If I Was Your Girlfriend, singing from a man's point of view. By the end of that song, he had presented himself as if he could be all things to her, including a female. So, to me, Camille was started off, yeah, there was some, you know. There's some uh, lyrics in these songs and that song where you can say, oh, yeah, he's definitely a dude. But Prince played with that so much. I think his ultimate goal was for, for Camille to represent the side of himself. Like he said in uh, I would die for you. I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I am something that you never understand. Camille was that that entity by the end, by the end of you could argue by the end of if I was your girlfriend, he was a female going down on his girl. I just blew Arthur I just blew Arthur's mind. Look.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Now Arthur just got a visual. That's all all, Arthur just got a visual.
1: (laughs) I swear I'll drink every drop. Come on, John. (laughs) I, I can't agree. I don't think that this is like an intentional transgender anthem or something. I think the lyrical content to me speaks to male fragility and insecurity. He even says, maybe I'm being a little self-centered. The whole vibe of it is frustration. Frustration, born I agree. of That insecurity. Right. Like he's begging, pleading and cajoling her to basically acquiesce and give up the rest of her life. And that conflict between adoration and possession is what it's about to me rather than some kind of transformation that he's going through. That's and, that's and that's kind of where you get this undercurrent of stalker vibe in the song. No, no, no. See, that's, that's, where
2: I, that's where I diverge from you. I don't think he's pleading with her saying, can't you see I'm better than that or I could be. I think what he's saying to her is, why can't you accept my feminine side? Why can't you accept the fact that I have this duality where I can be your man and I can do this, but I can also go to the movies and cry with you. He wants her to accept... The Camille, not Prince. Camille wants her to accept that he's both things. And by the end of that song, he may be talking to her like a man, but he's making love to her like a woman. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, I agree.
1: I, I well <laughs> I mean, okay, now you got me as confused as he is.
2: <laughs> this is this is so much fun. I'm
1: sorry, go ahead. Isaac wants to drop his mic so bad. Uh okay. Okay. So your position assumes that he's successful. Yeah. I don't think he is. By the end of the song, he's begging her, and she's not listening to him. Listen, for you naked, I would dance a ballet. Would that get you off? Well, tell me what will. If I was your girlfriend, you would tell me. Oh yeah, I think so. It's an argument because it's kind of becoming clear to him that he can't control every dimension of her life and cut everybody else out of it. I get. Yeah,
2: I, I. I. No, I I agree with that part. I think, though, you, he, I think he's basically telling her that she does not understand him. Camille, and again, it's important. Prince is not saying this. Camille is saying this. You don't understand me. Just like he 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 hinted at in I Would Die For You. And then later on, and even though it's a Prince song and a door... To me, a little bit of Camille comes out when he says, I want to be more than your brother, more than your mother, more than your sister. You know what I'm saying? He wants to be, he doesn't want to be refined. He doesn't want to be relegated to a sex. He wants to be a entity. And when I go down on you, I'll drink every drop. I'll do this. I'll do that it's beyond it's beyond male and female identities uh jay he's 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 become something else so let's just let's just run through the track list
0: because a lot of people listening have heard this material and even if they haven't they'd be able to call most of it together okay side one is rebirth of the flesh housequake strange relationship fill you up fill you up appeared on the party man single as the b-side uh, as part of uh the batman album in 1989 side two shockadelica B-side to If I Was Your Girlfriend Good Love Appeared on the soundtrack as I forementioned. If I Was Your Girlfriend And closes in Rock Hard in a Funky Place Okay, Shockadelica opening side two The lyric Is The lights go out The smell of doom is creeping into your lonely room The bed's on fire Your fate is sealed And you're so tired And the reason is Camille Then we go to the chorus Shockadelica The girl must be a witch she got your mind, body, and soul stitched.
2: Is he? The question he's I've always to, had about that song is: is yeah, is he is, is the, girl the girl shockadelica? Shack- yeah,
1: the girl okay, shockadelica. The girl, that's, no, that's the not, girl is that's shockadelica. Not, in truth,
0: that's not specified. You that's not specified. Name, but that's all right. Why I think I think it's safe to assume that. And then continues the chorus that said as That she, said, go back, that
2: first, go back to that first. verse. Mm-hmm. He's, who, is, who is he talking to in that first verse? Is he talking to Prince and saying? your bed's on fire and now the reason is Camille as in Camille is now taking over you who is he talking to Jay who is he talking to in that first verse to the girl so he's telling Shakadelica this is what happens to you because I'm here but then the whole rest of the song he's talking about what Shakadelica is doing to some other dude because he's not he or him but that's song it's kind of confusing, man. Huh? That's the the point. Yeah, the point of view is a little confusing.
0: Yeah, I song.
1: think it's just like a first person, second person shift. Well,
0: slow down, slow down, because now, now, we're, again, we're back to the point about the duality of the singular character. Second verse, she got you tied with the golden rope. She won't let you play your guitar. And when you've cried enough, maybe she'll let you up for a nasty ride in her chakalula car. I
2: don't know why I emphasized because <laughs> you nasty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And but then, but then, I mean, after Delica, we get to Good Love, the second song inside, too. And Good Love is a really like bubbly, happy song. It's yeah. like one of my favorites on the set. It's actually like yeah. one of my favorite Prince songs ever.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't agree, but go ahead. <laughs>
0: but the interesting thing about this is that even though the songs that were included in Sign of the Times, as Scuba pointed out, you know, were credited to Camille on the vocal, he chose to carry that theme
3: of Camille into Sign of the Times to keep this character intact. Did he keep it? Did keep he carry it over yeah. because, not because of ideology, but because he knew the songs were dope though. I think, well, I think, I think he knew the songs were dope first. Ar- okay, Arthur saying,
2: Arthur saying that on other songs that aren't credited to Camille, right. that ideology is still in those lyrics. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Well, if we're looking at identity beyond the album itself, you should also look at the B-side to I Wish You Heaven, which is called Scarlet Pussy." And that's got the unique feature of being a track actually by Camille as an artist rather than being a track by Prince with lead vocal by Camille as are, you know as is stated in the Son of the Times liners, like we've said. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if visually Camille's signed to a different record label because if you look at the I Wish You Heaven 12-inch the A side, I Wish You Heaven, is by Prince and you've got the Paisley Park label. If you flip it over... The artist's name is Camille. It's a black label with peach writing, completely different to the style of the A-side. Wow! And the track itself has the stereotypical male-female imagery of cats and dogs. And Camille is singing from the male perspective, talking about a woman. She will, she will make you shoot your ego all over her sheets. Great line. Talking about all the guys who want the woman, the neighborhood the dogs And when it comes time for the point of view to shift to a female perspective... It's not Camille who sings that, it's Sheila E. And it's just like a seriously dope track.
2: Mm.
0: Now, the carryover continues for me visually because Camille, I believe,
3: brought in the concept of the peach and black colours. Artwork was amazing. The, art, the artwork,
1: was, artwork was one of my favourites ever, yeah. Well, Camille sings it, right? While it wasn't slated for the Camille album, You Got the Look on Sign of the Times, again, lead vocal by Camille. He sings the lyrics... Color you peach and black, color me taking her back. Yes,
0: uh, but the introduction of iconography in Sign of the Times, the cross, the heart and the peace symbol. And what I believe is the most visceral visual repre- representation of Camille is Kat on the reverse of the 12 inch of Sign of the Times, where she's wearing these glasses, she's wearing a, a, a midriff top and a short skirt and it has a peach Cloud guitar that Prince made famous first in
2: uh per, you know purple rain. One of, and one of the best images I think of Kat. Yeah. Cause she to me there's the some images I didn't really like of her, but this that image is the glasses do it.
1: Yeah. Apparently that whole outfit was Susanna's. Except for the glasses, which were Prince's, and then he gave them to Kat for the shoot.
2: Yeah, so dig it. She's wearing female dress, male glasses, male guitar.
1: People thought it was Prince. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure the guitar is unisex. I don't think there's such a thing as a male guitar and a female guitar.
2: (laughs) That's Camille. Yeah,
1: that's right, right. right. That's Camille. It's
2: his guitar. I mean, it was his guitar. I mean, at the time, people actually thought that that was Prince. (laughs) Exactly.
3: Yeah, I I did. But it was Camille.
0: But I. But
1: no. But. Listen. Well, but well, hold on, hold on. But, but the knew, reason but I didn't even bring it up kind of Cat. But the you...
0: reason that the reason even bring it up is because I don't think that he was. I think that he intended to introduce Camille even during this time.
2: But Cat wasn't going to be Camille. No, but I'm saying yeah. she was represent But Arthur,
1: you agree with me, basically? Yeah, I do.
0: Th- there's not a lot of traction to to Prince's long lost brother.
1: That was a rumor, right? Yeah.
0: But I
2: mean it was as it was as valid a rumor as, you know, the cover art. Yeah, I wonder right. if he would have done a series of videos for Camille, the album. Would he have played himself or would he have let her stand yeah, in sure as Camille? <laughs> I'm sure he would have. Why I'm are you so against my think... theory, man? What do you got against my theory? That's what
1: well, <laughs> see here's the but see here's the problem. But it's so consistent. It's yeah, the, not but, the, consistent. But, but see the you know, in the You Got the Look video, he's singing in the sign of the times tour booklet. It says Camille was a boy and it's got pictures of Prince with stubble, not even like clean shaven.
2: It's not consistent. you're saying it's not consistent. You're not saying it's not consistent. Dude, art evolves. He may have changed his mind. This Camille may have never came to the fruition that he wanted it to, come- to come to the concept. But so yet- if it's not consistent, that's not a knock against it.
1: Yeah, Great. No problem. Let's disregard all the evidence that he's presented to us.
2: Well, who are we talking about, though? As I said before, who are we talking about, though? He's not the most unimpeachable source. <laughs> even for even for his own shit. Yeah, I mean, he is inconsistent about it. Prince is
0: inconsistent about it because I do believe that this photograph of Cat on the back of his 12-inch was is the Camille
1: character. I've always believed that. No, I I I, I totally disagree with everything you were are saying.
2: Well, let's let's move off of <laughs> let's uh let's move off of the androgyny though or the sexual identity and talk about the music. Yes. What is the this I've always questioned or I wanted to hear other people's opinions about the sequencing. Of Camille, you know, as far as because it's, it's hard, you know, once you've heard Sign of the Times, once you've heard, you know, if I was your girlfriend, come after you got the look, um, and before strange relationship, um, and those other songs place where they're at. It's hard when I listen to Camille and I listened to it recently, uh, today for the first time in a very long time to get my mind out of the sequencing of other Sign the of albums, the Times, right, you know what I'm, I'm saying? Where so, where and to kind of judge the sequencing because I feel like. Camille almost sounds to me like an album where it's like obviously it's great but it sounds like where this brilliant genius kind of got hold of the studio and did some wild shit and then Prince came along later and like fit it into a better you know packaging with Sign of the Times you know what I'm saying it's Mm -hmm. like so I wanted to hear you guys opinion about the sequencing of Camille how these songs flow together
3: well personally I, I, I love the fact that the second thing you hear off of it is Housequake you know because it takes you to a a, f- a real funky place that, you know, I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't have expected. So when
2: you hear the word, the name Camille, you don't think of funk. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, no, seriously,
3: you look at this and, and the whole presentation of this project, you know, Housequake is like, boom, like, oh, okay, cool. And for that to be the second piece of the album, it just set a different stage for me. Like Arthur Said was one of the funkiest albums that he did, you know, and you're dealing with, you know, how funky the black album was supposed to be, like, A little bit around the same time, but
0: like these two attempts to get back his "quote unquote" black audience, right? And that he left. You know,
3: some of the other sequencing. You know, I I get if I was your girlfriend being dropped down so low. You know, in the sequencing of it all, but it's second to last song on the album. You know, and I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of you know high you know high Mm -hmm. high high Mm mid and all of a sudden drop you down to take you somewhere else either you know to me that should have been the last if you're gonna take me down I'm gonna stay there <laughs> mm-hmm. you know don't take me down and then try to take me somewhere else that was the only sequence of problem I had
2: how, how many versions of Shockadelica are there out there?
1: two the edit and then the album version or the 12 inch extended version and
2: how long that extended version is how long?
1: it's like six something
2: cause I, I mean Shockadelica man I mean that's that's what I said, Good Love is good, but Chaka Delica to me is like, I mean, it's so far above and beyond, you know what I'm saying, what, what Good Love is or what Rock Hard is to me. I, I just feel like that's the way you end an album. You know what I'm saying? I would love a 20-minute version of Chaka Delica. Okay,
3: I see that, but if you come in at, at, at the time that we're talking about, it's not like we're thinking now. This is the flip side, right? What? Then Delica start off the flip side, right?
2: Uh, is it's it the song first song? On? So, yeah, song number five. Right, so
3: that's like this gives you
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah to yeah, me yeah, right yeah. that experience 19, yeah, back if in the flipping day. over an album. Yeah. Flipping, so
3: it gives you a whole. Other but thing. wait a
2: minute, this was in '86. We weren't flipping out.
3: We're flipping tapes. Flipping tapes. We're okay, okay. The same all thing. The right. superiors where you have to stop and go off. So, this, so that first song has to set a standard
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I would have I would have moved if I was your girlfriend. If I was sequencing this, it would have been three. It would have been track three, and I would have moved at strange relationship. Break?
1: Yeah, I don't have a problem honestly with the with the sequencing at all because I think. Unlike the majority of artists creating music today or even back then, whenever he created albums, he created them with the same aesthetic, the same production, the same engineering aesthetic. It all sounded like it was recorded on the same day. As a matter of fact, Rebirth of the Flesh and Rock Hard in a Funky Place were recorded on the same day.
2: Which makes sense.
1: To me, it all flows together. I sort of get what you're saying, Scoop, but Rock Hard in a Funky Place isn't, it's not a fast tune. It's still kind of slow to mid-tempo funk groove. And by the way, I agree with you, Arthur, that Good Love is way better than Chocodelica.
0: Now, here's an interesting thought, because, you know, if it was going to be released, it would have been January 1987. And it's supposed to be for his reclamation of black audiences. What was going on in black music in 1986? Control was still happening. Strong. We had uh, cameos word up that was still getting yeah, a lot yeah. of radio airplay, huge. strong, huge, and um, those two are probably the biggest plays for you know for yeah, a punk audience. Team. Zach Rogers, yeah. "I Want to Be Your Man," yeah. was a big song that huge. year, and to release an album in, in January. You know, you're getting all the backdraft from all of that, all of that music that's out on the airwaves.
3: Am I right? You're also getting yeah. the backlash of what's going on in hip hop. So you're dealing with, uh, I think, Run DMC's "Raising Hell" and Beastie Boys. Yes, you are. You dealing, yeah, so that, right. dealing
0: with and you're dealing with "Raising Hell."
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was huge And that because that's a big part of the black audience. Mm-hmm. You know, at do you that think time? the album
0: would have done well? Like, what what do you think would have been the single?
2: Knowing
0: that Shockadel- you're coming off
3: Shaka of or Housequake.
2: I don't know if Housequake would have been. You talking about would have been the first single? Yeah, I don't think either one no, of those.
3: Incidentally, incidentally, at the top who's making who's making that decision? though? Who's A&R. releasing the record? Who's making the decision? A and mm mm-hmm. and R. But 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 I think Prince
0: had the power to veto stuff though. I mean, he was at That's that level who's where he making could veto. That
3: who's making that decision?
1: Well, Alan Leeds says that he thinks Son of the Times would have been a lot bigger mm-hmm. had Housequake been a single. Mm-hmm.
2: I think I think A and R would have chosen either Strange Relationship or Fill You Up.
1: And actually, just to make
0: it more interesting, at the beginning of 1987, Jody Watley's Looking for a New Love was hot. Mm-hmm. And that's, right, I, that's Andre right, Simone's right, producing it.
1: Right, right. mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd have chosen good love. Hype, happy track, <laughs> makes an impact, funky, funny. I could see it doing well.
2: My knock against good love is that it takes the, the, the vocal, the speeding up of the vocal to a little bit of an extreme. It sounds, and I'm I'm not an engineer, so I don't know, but it sounds like on that song, it's sped up even more than it is on the other songs. And at some points, it gets annoying, especially when it hits that high note uh, later on in the in the uh, in the song during one of the bridges. It just it just annoys the hell out of me. I don't mind the the track itself, uh, the music, the you know. I, I I it's not like when it comes on, I skip, but that part right there, it's like that. His vocal track on that song is a little bit too. Gleeful,
1: but I think it's just that he's singing in a different range, in a higher okay, range. Okay, maybe that's like that it. Song. Maybe that's so it. So it's more accentuated. I want to hear Arthur's view. Arthur will probably speak for me on this.
0: Okay, man, Good Love. So the first time I heard first the first time that I heard Good Love was late Sunday night. It was like a mix on I think it was like KMEL, right? And they the DJ mixed Mantronics. Who is it? into good love and from the synth i mean before the vocal even happened i knew that it was prince but i had no idea what this song was you know just (laughs) the sonic landscape that was set by that song you know the lead synth lines. I mean, they sounded like steel drums. And just the positive energy of that song, Prince sounded, he just sounded happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a great contrast to a lot of what's on Son of the Times.
2: Alright, you guys, I'm going back in. Let me ask you, on this, on Camille, does Housequake start with the, uh, I can't remember, does it start with the record scratch?
1: Well, that test pressing that came out last year indicates that it did include the record scratch, but you know, ultimately, we just put this stuff together ourselves, man. they just... Compilations from albums, bootlegs, etc. Mm-hmm. So, places like Prince Fort compile the studio notes, but ultimately, it's all just theory. Because
3: they never actually put it together and they never did right, it. So, we're right, thinking right, it's going right, to be right, on there. Right, right, right. Right, hmm. right. Right, right, right. See, right, right. that's
2: what I'm wondering because without that record scratch. <laughs> yeah.
3: How would they play out in the landscape as an initial project, though? I think Housequake just stands out. If you listen to all the stuff we talked about that was out at the time. You know, and and you're still dealing with trying to get some public interest. The only thing
2: I think that holds Housequake back in the terms of launching a project A&R is that they probably would not want to release. And I'm speaking purely A&R. They want to have something out there as the first track that has something to do with love or relationships or some type of a more a broader picture rather than less jam.
1: So if they're truly married and believe in the concepts and they're not trying to get the best of both worlds then Housequake kind of makes sense as a first release because that says everything about um, about Camille, about the vibe of the album. That's it. It's just a kind of relentless funk jam. If that's the picture and they're trying to sell it convincingly, then yeah. But if they're trying to choose a Camille track that's more like a Prince track, then yeah, they're not going to go with Housequake.
3: Here's my question I wanted to ask Arthur. Um, was it smart for him, knowing what sign of the times became, for him not to release Camille? Cause if you take the songs that are on Sign of the Times off of here, and he does Camille and he does Sign of the Times without it, it's Sign of the Times the album that we all have it and hold it in the same reference as.
0: Now that I know that Camille existed, it devalues Sign of the Times for me.
3: Hmm. I hear what you're saying. Well, Wait, Sign of the Times is, Do you have you have it coming out before Sign of the Times or after? Which songs play first? Camille Camille plays
0: first so I mean this was the follow like like if Camille released I don't think there'd be a sign of the time right there wouldn't be a need for it. what
2: it just wouldn't be a double would but when it you, when you say devalue are you saying because when you heard sign of times you thought that all these songs happened at the same time right and so now that right. you know that these all these songs happen these funk songs are separate from Adore and you know a, right like Cause see look times. at it from
0: this look at it from this standpoint Let's say the Black Album was not released in 1994 as part of Prince's package to get out of his Warner Brothers contract, Mm -hmm. right? Rock Hard in a Funky Place doesn't
3: get released, period. Like, nobody hears it. Right. But I'm looking at the three songs that are on here from Sign of the Times. If you take them off Sign of the Times, how strong is Sign of the Times?
2: Oh, it's definitely... You could... That's... It's definitely weakened, but you say that about those songs, all it's the songs on album. that album are so integral to that album. You take any of those songs off and it gets weakened. You see what I'm saying? Because yeah. every song on there is, yeah. so, is so integral to that album.
1: I mean, "Sign of the Times was still released in March 1987. So I think the songs were all done pretty much at the same time. They were all done within the same nine-month stretch. Still, an incredibly short period of creativity.
0: Well, okay, my criteria is not is not that the songs were 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 recorded at the same time, because you know these aren't all of these songs aren't aren't new. Uh, Feel You Up" and "Strange Relationship" are three yeah. four years old by that time. You see what I'm saying? It's the fact that yeah. you've got the, this collection of eight songs packaged as an album with the with the with a with a, the with a characterization around it you you don't you don't put out sign of the times you see what i'm saying you put out something else but it's not sign of the times because these aren't even prince songs technically based on based on what Warner brothers was uh, how it was supposed to be released mm-hmm. you, you get what i'm saying
1: if yeah, we're talking about 1986 prince he had such a war chest of jams so for example if sign of the times can't feature if i was your girlfriend because it came out already on camille couldn't he just put joy and repetition on sign of the times in its place?
0: No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so.
3: Well, here's the bigger picture. You okay, see what I'm saying? To, to, I to think you need saying, these songs. But to what you're saying, then, then, what happens to his career if this, if there is no sign at times? And you just said there's no need for sign at the times. So now we're looking at this. He drops Camille. It doesn't do sign at the time.
2: Mm, and then goes right into. Yeah. <laughs> Does he go?
3: Does what he happens? follow
0: the same thing? He path? goes into the album that he builds around the Battle of Dorothy Parker.
3: Mm, mm. So, Ned here's your what if? That's an interesting what, what if. if. See, here's, here's the thing. What if he had dropped I mean, I don't know if any of
0: us have ever done this. I haven't. The same haven't. what but if, Now, man? now, now you, I'm now you're actually interested. No, I'm saying, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 for real, for real, for real. real. Now I'm actually interested in doing this. I'm actually interested in if I was going to make Sign of the Times a single album, and at that time, that was that would be no more than maybe what ten songs, Max max. Right. What songs would I take if this album, Camille, was already released? So if this album was out in the wild, early 87, and let's say Sign of the Times got released, you know, uh, Black Album Territory, fall of 87. What does that Sign of the Times look like?
2: OK, so start it off. You start with Sign of the Times. Playing the Sunshine. Playing
0: the Sunshine stays. Battle of Dorothy Parker. Battle of Dorothy Parker stays. Okay. That's, your, that's your third track.
3: No, he's not secret. Are you okay, you, I thought you were
0: secret. Going songs so on it. It stays. Starfish and coffee stays. Uh, Forever in my life stays. Adore. Well, yeah, adore definitely stays. Um, the cross. The cross stays.
2: Nah, yeah. I take the cross off. I take the cross <laughs> off. I take the I take cross it. to the curb. You got the look would probably be on there just by fate, even though that's your
3: pop song. Mm-hmm.
2: What about what about what about uh? Cause I'm like I don't I don't I I can't take Housequake off a of sign at times.
3: That's kind of what I mean. I was you know what I was about to say. That's the one song that's missing on there. If he does it without that, he needs a Housequake on that album.
2: As much as I like Camille the album, a Prince album, and correct me if I'm wrong, but has any as a Prince official released album ever stayed within one genre? No,
1: for you and Prince are pretty strong music
2: genre. No. Never. So it's like I can't. Mm, Rainbow Children. That's the voodoo genre. That
3: was one J. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's maybe one I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of. Right, and news, news could okay, say the pre, same thing. Yeah,
2: pre 90, pre 1990. Yeah, pre 1990, no Prince album ever stayed in one genre. So, as much as I and I know that this is a Camille release, so it's technically not a Prince album. But you take, I, I feel like Sign of the Times needs Camille. You know, what I'm saying I feel like it needed these. I need, it needs Housequake. You know what I'm saying? It needed to show because what we always said about Science Times, it ran the gamut. It showed you everything, everything. he could do, yep. and it's like nobody else could do that.
3: Nope. You but know what this I'm saying? is why. But this is why.
2: But I'm saying if you need
3: Camille without Housequake is missing that on you need Housequake or the thing. Or you need something like a Housequake. Yeah, I don't need this I don't need the
2: same year yeah, with um, all these albums. I need the same album with, with all these songs. All these, exactly. Yeah.
3: I'm, I'm with you two hundred percent on that. You know,
2: scooping and I talk about this a lot. Sequencing is so vital, you know what I'm saying, to album to to, uh, to album
3: art. The albums are experiences.
2: Right. And so when you go from playing in sunshine to uh to uh, housequake and that needle scratch you know what I'm saying? It's like you're switching ideologies almost. You go from this you know, uh, the, uh, what's he, the what's the lyric when you're talking about the big white rabbit and all, you know what I'm saying? It's all that type of stuff. And all of a sudden you, and it's like, shut up already. It's like, oh shit, what just <laughs> happened? You know what I'm saying? Do you do you remember when you first heard that? Yeah. It's like, yeah, 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 I yeah. felt like he slapped it's me in my face and me. I liked it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I was like, <laughs> thank you. That felt good. Do that again. So I feel like I get what you're saying, John. He had a whole bunch of material he could have switched out. But he nailed it. And that's what I'm like Camille as an album is great, and it's like I, I you know, I have battled. Damn, I wish she would release this. I wish, you know, blah blah blah. What would happen? But it sounds like Grown Up Prince came in the studio and said, "Okay, I've been doing this for you know twelve years. Well, I'm, you know, I did all this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the peak of my powers right now. I know that these eight songs or whatever, you know, and it's not like this is a one day of decision because you saw how many how he went back and forth with. I'm gonna release this and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. it's gonna be a double album. It's gonna be a quadruple album. It's gonna, you know, he went back and forth." But at the end of the day, the decision that was made and what we got to see, I think was the right one. You know what I'm saying? If I look at Sign of the Times, I just, you know, I really don't think if this album would have came out and then later that year, Sign of the Times would have came out or whatever it would have been called with like the songs you mentioned, Arthur. Beautiful album, but I just don't think it would have been as good of an album.
1: You know, speaking about these different albums and different styles, you can really... Hear the difference between the Camille and Prince sounds with "Strange Relationship," because the Wendy and Lisa version sounds totally different to the Camille yeah, version. Yeah,
2: remind me of Wendy and Lisa's part in that.
1: Vocals, sitars, keys, different drums. They said they felt that they'd been oh. erased from the song, and it was they felt it was their song, as in the three of them. And one of them likened it to seeing an ex-lover out for the first time with a with a new partner.
2: Mm-hmm. I remember that but didn't he didn't he do that did he do that to them are they on on sign of the times are they on Wendy and Lisa can you are they are they on Uh, uh, playing the sunshine or beautiful night are they no the somewhere beautiful
1: wrong. night is the only beautiful night is the only one that the revolution members feature on because it's a live track right and that was recorded in the last Paris concert of the revolution in 1986
2: but we can surmise i mean we can infer though that his his i mean because he makes a lot of different choices as far as why he changes music but that choice for strange relationship was strictly because of not wanting winnie and
1: lisa to be on that song who knows he might have preferred it without it just like when doves cry popping the bass out who
0: knows okay what's the better unreleased album camille or the Black
1: Album? Camille.
2: Camille. Camille, absolutely. No, Camille. no, 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 yeah.
1: Camille. Yeah. Okay. It's funny, though, how close in tone Camille and the Black Album are. Like, I always wondered why Rebirth of the Flesh wasn't on the Black Album. I guess perhaps it's too close in tone to Super Funky, California Sexy, and, um, and even Rock Hard in a Funky Place. Even in terms of narrative and iconography, they're linked pretty closely. In the Love Sexy Tour booklet, he talks about Camille finding a new color, the color black. And he complains about critics yeah. saying that his music wasn't mm-hmm. funky anymore etc mm-hmm. so you can so it's kind of like he's tying in everything towards funkiness and soulfulness arthur i know you've thought a lot about the iconography so so why don't you share a little bit with us
0: you know well i, I think those three symbols the the sign of the times icon trio of the peace symbol you know the the heart and the cross are the sum total of everything that his music has been about throughout his career i mean maybe camille was to be represented by a series of symbols you know these three icons the color scheme of peach and black in and of itself um and you know chiefly the voice but we know that he's no stranger to iconography I and mean, it's, it's the, this name the symbol you know that first appeared in 1982 on the album art of uh 1999 every album his name has been represented
2: in completely different typefaces, and that's my favorite. His, as far from a design standpoint,
0: mm-hmm. from an artwork yeah.
2: standpoint, that iconography he used during, especially the sign of the times period, is my favorite of all time. Because he used it, he developed, or whoever his designer was, he worked with he developed those, developed those symbols and those um, that logo art, all that stuff, and he actually used it appropriately. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He, he, he used it to convey a story instead of just slapping it on something. Um, And and to me That's I think he he didn't do it Better uh, He never did it Better than that
3: Do you all think He had a different Level of comfortability With every Different instrument I'll tweak all this I'm cool here Do you think musically He felt A different comfortability With each different Instrument that he Operated with
0: I believe that Prince Felt most comfortable With drums and bass Mm. Just pick it up And start playing And like I know I've got it
3: Program drums Or actual
0: Actual Okay
1: Solid drummer great programmer killing bassist
0: um and i think that he worked on his guitar playing i mean almost by necessity where when des dickerson stepped out who was clearly his lead guitarist prince stepped it up on his own to counter wendy who was you know
2: new and green Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a good question Mm -hmm. I, i think i think any artist has there is those levels of comfortability even you know Prince is singular because he plays so many and not especially now not many people do that uh, outside of jazz musicians but yeah I, I think anybody I mean from a listening standpoint is I was surprised to hear you say that you know I, I believe you yeah. uh, I w- as a just a pure listener I would you know I would have went to guitar you know what I'm saying but you're saying bass and drums
3: I would say basically going back to what I was saying earlier about listening to his stuff now The bass lines he would develop and, you know, uh, basically come up with in his songs. And that's why I think he was always rooted as a funk artist, because of the bass lines that would come up in his head. You know, whether he played them or not, he was still coming up with the bass lines through all and most of his songs. And I thought there was a comfortability there Mm -hmm. that was rooted there that I don't think any artist basically has. And I take that over... You know, what he did with the guitar, which I think he really felt comfortable with. And a lot of his arrogance was there. But his keyboard was a different thing. Yeah, I mean, like, for example, I mean, he's very, obviously he's
0: comfortable with with keyboard and piano. You know, now I had the opportunity to see him in February in Oakland. Right. He's not a, he, he's not a great piano player. But he composes so well. Well, yeah, you know? yeah. Right. But you get what I'm saying? I mean, right, he's not okay. a great piano player. He plays a lot of chords and he plays really, really, really hard. He, he's not a virtuoso. It's not like going to, it wasn't like going to see Herbie Hancock. Right. It was Prince playing the piano.
2: That Was the draw the, the setting? Mm-hmm. It's just,
0: an just extended the period. Down. it's,
3: it's of, about the songs and the strip of the right?
2: Scoop, it's like it's like from a writing standpoint, you know how to do a wide variety of things. You may spend more time on grammar, than, and another writer may spend more time on sentence structure, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Another writer may spend more time on composition of a whole graph, you know, mm-hmm. like that's their thing. Like, mm-hmm. I just want you know, but another one's all on uh, uh, making sure these commas are in the right place, you know what I'm saying? It's like all these different things. I think with Prince, to me, his, his guitar playing was more of an emotional thing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. These, yes. these things that you guys were talking about were the technical things he, he wanted, he mastered in the studio. Right. His guitar playing was like, more like his voice to me. Yeah. It was more like I'm a, he ripped loose on that from, a, from an emotional standpoint.
3: And all the I back based on your thing about his ego, because his ego was so beautifully, or his arrogance, as you said, the beautiful arrogance that he had, I would think that he felt comfortable doing everything.
1: I mean, can we say confidence?
3: No, that, no, that's that's arrogance.
2: Uh, it is confidence, but I think to do <laughs> what arrogant. he did, you have to be arrogant. You have to be arrogant. You know what I'm saying? There has to be a level of arrogance that you have, a beautiful arrogance that you have, in order to get it up in yourself every day to do that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a daunting task for him to do what he did at that level is a daunting task. It takes more than confidence. You
3: know, he had an arrogance because he knew how great he was. It was just a man I was just asking the question because of that arrogance. Did he just? Was he so arrogant and so confident to make Jahan comfortable that there was nothing that he couldn't do and he didn't have any comfortability level on everything everything was the same?
2: I think he was so I think he or was did so, it vary
3: from instrument to instrument.
2: I think it varied, but I think he was so confident that he, there was nothing
1: he wasn't willing to try. That's the
2: that's the key point with him. It's not that he felt I can do anything. Okay, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. That's I good, will try good. anything. Do do. Okay,
1: okay. It's funny, Arthur, you mentioned Herbie Hancock, like no one's Herbie Hancock, but I liked Princess Piano playing. I think I might not have dug the arrangements sometimes, but I, I really liked his feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instrumentation-wise, like without a doubt to me, the instruments on which he had the greatest influence were the Linn LM1 drum machine and rhythm guitar. Mm. His programming on the LM1 and that high octave, so-called chicken grease style of rhythmic playing, that screams Prince, like whenever you hear it anywhere, that's, that's like his DNA. I always found it really weird that everybody focuses on the lead guitar playing, like the rock stuff, whatever, even in a soul context, but not the rhythm guitar. That's weird as hell to me.
2: Who played piano on uh, uh, "Power Fantastic"? Was that that was Lisa? Lisa? Okay, because he wasn't even. They were in different parts of the house when he, they recorded that, right? He was right. She was like upstairs. She was upstairs. Living. Okay. The real question is, who played piano
0: on "Sexy Dancer"? Jahan. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Music snobs podcast. Oh, shit. What do I say at the end?
2: It's we, been a while. Uh, Despite uh, all the rumors that we died, we're back. Thank you for listening.
3: <laughs> this has been the Music
2: snobs podcast. We got <laughs> our,
3: our, our, our
2: eulogy to Prince. Our eulogy to Prince. Check out the website if it's still up and Prince's lawyers haven't taken us down. Yep. Uh, we'll see you next time.